The following is a message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down on his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel rose and went to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know that the Lord, the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is hears. Sorry, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at the other times. Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel said, speak for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel in which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay till morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Oh, sorry. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord, and it is for a good. Thank you, Charity. And you can turn in your scriptures, if you haven't already, to 1 Samuel. So we continue our Children of the Bible series through July. We're going to be looking here at the life of a young boy. And the, um, the text doesn't actually tell us Samuel's exact age, chapter 3, but... Um, the word boy, or perhaps child in your translation, indicates a youth. Um, actually, kind of a broad age range. It can indicate from infancy to adolescence, but certainly young. Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, uh, believed that Samuel was probably about 12 years old when this particular event occurred. And Samuel was a 
special child, sort of like Joseph, because he was born to a woman who has been barren. And her barrenness has been the cause of much tension in her family. Chapter 1 outlines that for us, how she and her husband's other wife um, were at odds with one another for this other wife had children and, and kept reminding her of that. And in desperate faith, Hannah prays for a son at the tabernacle and promises to return him to serve the Lord. And uh, this, again, chapter 1 um, this is what happens. They go each, the family goes each year to Shiloh, and while she's there, one of those times, she goes to the tabernacle and she prays and asks God for a son and promises to return him to God. And meanwhile, Eli, who's the chief priest, the high priest, um, sees her there and thinks she's drunk because she's talking, she, her lips are moving, but he doesn't hear anything come out of her mouth, and he rebukes her. But when she tells him what she's doing, uh, Eli blesses her and um, tells her that she will have a son. And within a year, Hannah gives birth to a son whom she names Samuel, which means heard from God. And when Hannah weans Samuel, then she takes him to the tabernacle, as she had promised God, to serve God and Eli. And each year, it tells us, she brings him a new robe. And by the way, just as an aside, if you have time today, I would encourage you to read in chapter 2, 1 through 11, Hannah's prayer after God gives her a son. It is a wonderful, wonderful prayer from a godly woman. Now, a little backstory here in chapter 2 is helpful as we get into chapter 3. The sons of Eli are worthless men who do not acknowledge God, the Lord, and are abusing their position as priests. One of, the, one of the primary things they're doing is they're scoffing at his sacrifice in that they were supposed to, as priests, um, have some of the meat of sacrifice, but not until it had been offered. And they didn't like that, the way that would happen. They wouldn't get as good of a piece of meat or in the condition they wanted it. And so they would take the sacrifice directly out of the hands of the person coming to offer it and do what they wanted with it first. And so they were kicking at God's command and God's sacrifice. And so in verses 27 through 36, the passage that immediately precedes our text today, a prophet, a man of God, comes to Eli and tells him that God has put away, or will put away, Eli's line, his, his descendants from being priests. And that his, um, all, his, all the male descendants of Eli will die while they are still young. But keep that in mind, it's going to be fairly important as we come into chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we find out that while Samuel is ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there were no frequent visions. So kind of think of how this has moved along. Um, God, uh, beginning particularly with uh, Adam, uh, not Adam, uh, uh, Abraham, although he had communicated before with his people, in, in Abraham he begins to speak and um, tell Abraham what's going to happen and, and, and all that's in his heart, right? He, he says, I can't hide these things from Abraham. And then he uh, speaks to Isaac, he speaks to Jacob. And then there's this silence in Egypt where there doesn't seem to be the word of the Lord coming. It seems rare and infrequent 
in those days. It picks up again at the burning bush when God begins to speak to Moses. And it later tells us that God would speak to Moses as a man speaks to a man. Not through any other means, uh, not through a prophet or something else, but he would speak directly to Moses and tell him. And there was a lot of talk going on then. God was telling him, here's what you're to do with the tabernacle, here's what you're to do with the commandments and all that. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, the word of the Lord. And then in the, in the time of the judges, there's some, there's the word of the Lord is coming to various judges at various times and telling them things. But now, this period, at the end of the period of the judges, the word of the Lord again has become infrequent. And that's, that's um, noteworthy because it highlights what is about to happen. Because uh, if you know the story, the Lord comes to Samuel now to speak to him, to give him a message. In verse 4, it starts that little story where God calls Samuel by name. And Samuel hasn't yet heard the word of the Lord, so he thinks it's Eli. And so he runs to Eli and wakes him up. Here I am, you called. And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go, go back to bed. That happens three times, and then Eli realizes, okay, God is calling. And so he says to Samuel, uh, the next time you hear the voice, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Samuel does that. And so it brings us to uh, chapter, or verse 10. The Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold... So think of this. This is, the, this is the first time this 12-year-old boy is going to hear the word of the Lord. And the first thing he says is, pay close attention, behold. And then here's the first part of the message. I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. How would you like to get that as the first message from the Lord? Not some encouragement, not... Samuel, I'm with you. Samuel, you've been doing a good job. Keep it up. But Samuel, I'm going to do something, and everybody's ears are going to tingle, meaning it's going to be bad news. It's going to cause them to sit up and go, whoa, God is serious. And then the next part of the message, he tells them, him is not very encouraging either. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. <laughs> Put yourself in Samuel's place. This is the first time you hear the word of the Lord and it is bad news. And it's not just bad news. But it's bad news about your father figure, essentially, about the one who is in charge of you, the one you've been serving and helping out. And uh, we, don't, we don't know all of the relationship that Samuel and Eli had, but certainly it had to be a pretty intimate one, him having lived there for some years now and serving and ministering before Eli. Wow. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. So put yourself in Samuel's place. God isn't speaking to people. And Samuel, a young boy, has just been given a message by God. Bad, bad news for Eli. 
<laughs> how would you feel? But here's how Samuel feels. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Well, it's a scary thing. But it gets worse. Because it's not as if Samuel can now just sort of go through the day and pretend nothing happened. Because Eli has already figured out something's going on. And so look what happens next. Eli calls Samuel. Whew. Samuel's already afraid of what he's got to tell Eli. Now Eli calls him and says to him, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. Eli realizes something's up. He knows God is calling Samuel in the night, and he summons Samuel and demands that he tell what God told him. And he threatens that God will punish Samuel if he hides anything from him. Children and young people, this is your sermon series, so I want you to think a moment. What temptation might be coming at you this moment? What might you be tempted to be afraid about and lose courage? And when I use that term courage, I'm using this definition. The moral strength to do what is right when you're afraid. Or maybe simpler for some of you littler kids, doing right when you're afraid. And thinking in this particular context, children and young people, are there times when you're afraid to tell someone, especially an older person, something they need to hear? Now, we know that some children have no problem with that. <laughs> and they will tell many older people things they don't need to hear. But when you know the truth of God needs to be spoken, that's really what we're looking at here. It can be scary to tell an older person they are wrong. Or to tell another, person's, another child's parent that their child has done something wrong. Or it can be scary to tell an adult that the only way they will have eternal life is to believe Jesus. These are scary things that you might be called upon as a child to tell an adult. But what does Samuel do? Samuel takes courage and he tells uh, Eli everything and hides nothing from him. God gives Samuel courage. And Samuel does the right thing even when he is afraid. He doesn't know what Eli is going to do. He doesn't know how Eli is going to respond. Maybe Eli is going to get angry. Certainly, Eli's sons probably weren't very happy with Samuel. I'm sure they didn't treat him any better after that. But Samuel takes courage and does what is right. Children and young people, you do not need to be afraid because Jesus can deliver you from fear. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 34. Turn over to Psalm 34 if you have your scriptures handy. David says in Psalm 34, in verse 4, I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. This is important. This is important because courage is not the same as bravado. Bravado is that 
blustering courage that says, I can take care of this. I can do it. Don't mess with me. That's not what we're talking about here. Courage is not making ourselves do a hard thing when we are afraid. It is trusting God when we are afraid to do a hard thing and asking him for help. You notice the difference there. It's not just deciding i got to do the right thing because it's the right thing and it's hard and I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. It is asking God, God, you know I'm afraid in the midst of this. I need you to help me. Please do. And what does the text tell us? The Lord hears and delivers from fear. When you ask God to help you do a hard thing, he will take away your fear. I want to just share a story from Jack's experience here. And one of the reasons for doing this is because uh, this series is kind of built off of the understanding I've gained of child faith through the life and death of Jackson. After Jack's bicycle accident, he was lying on our bed uh, for the rest of the day. And while on the bed, he began to repeat a verse that Allison had taught him over the years. Um, Jackson had what, starting what age, maybe three, four? What he called freaky dreams. Uh, they were scary dreams that he had. And he would, he would not be able to sleep at night or he would be afraid to go to bed at night. And so Allison taught him a verse. Uh, it's in Hebrews 13, 6, also, and it's quoted from Psalm 118, 6. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. And Jackson learned that. And he told it to himself regularly at night to keep himself from having these freaky dreams, these scary dreams. Well, the night uh, after his accident, he was laying on the bed and he was saying that over and over. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. And then, suddenly, he threw an arm in the air and exclaimed, You're making me brave, God. You're making me brave. And then Allison describes that he went into a prayer that she doesn't even remember, but that she remembers thinking sounded like an older man who had walked many years with God. Amazing how time means nothing to God. It can speed up the mat- spiritual maturity of a person in just hours. And it's not just for someone who's on their deathbed. He can do it for any of us. That's child faith. Jack sought the Lord, and that the Lord delivered him from all his fears. He did not express fear that evening, for God was his helper making him brave. That's child faith. Now I want to challenge us older children of God to this kind of child faith. Because having courage to do a hard thing when we're afraid is an expression of child faith. And let's admit it. We can be afraid, can't we? A lot of fear. And let's keep it in the context of Samuel. We can be afraid to tell people hard things. After all, it might bring tension into the relationship. It might break the relationship apart. It might cause them to get angry with us and maybe even violent. It may cost us friendships. It is not easy to tell others hard things. 
But we can have courage to do it. And when we begin to have courage to do it because we're trusting God to help us, that courage just, I would say, multiplies. It multiplied in the life of uh, David, right? When he said, God helped me to kill a lion and a bear. He's going to help me to kill Goliath. It also happened in the life of Samuel. If you turn over to 1 Samuel 15, you're going to see how this happened as an adult for Samuel. Samuel has anointed Saul, the first king, and Saul starts out okay, but he doesn't end up very good. And at this point in chapter 15, he is not a good king at all. But he is still king, meaning he is the most powerful man in Israel, according to the flesh. Not only that, but Saul, what do you remember about Saul that's distinct? Anybody remember? He's a big man. He was a head taller than everyone else. So he's a, he's a big guy, not as big as Goliath, but he's still a big man in Israel. He's a strong, physically strong kind of man. And Samuel has to go to him and has to give him some bad news. And it's, it, it's because, uh, it starts in verse uh, 14 where Samuel says, uh, What's this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen I hear? Because Saul had been told, go and wipe out the Amalekites, everybody, and all of the spoils. Don't take any spoils. Don't take any sheep. Don't take any animals. Don't take anything from them. Destroy everything is what God said to do. And Saul says, well, we brought them from the Amalekites because the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. And look at here, Samuel summons up courage and says to Saul, stop! I think he's saying, stop lying to me. Stop deceiving yourself here, Saul. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission to destroy the Amalekites. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul gives this lame excuse again that we just kept Agag alive, the king, and we took some of the sheep and oxen so we could sacrifice them. And here Saul is very direct. This took courage. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. How's that for hard news? To tell the king of Israel, who you anointed, you're done, and God is putting someone else in your place. But Saul knew, Samuel knew that God would help him and give him courage. Saul Saul says, I've sinned. He's contrite, and he wants Samuel to come back with him to offer sacrifices for him. And look what Samuel says in verse 26. I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Saul was going to do when he grabbed Samuel. So we can leave that to our imagination But it certainly might have been a tense moment for Samuel when the most powerful man in Israel and one of the strongest men in Israel grabs his robe. 
But what happens? It tears. And Samuel has the perfect illustration. The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. See, his courage came at this time in his life because he trusted the Lord and had courage from the Lord when he was a child. He had a child faith as he moved through life, and he retained that child faith. Simple and complete, trusting God. And so, older and younger children of God at Jerkytown, let's have courage. Let's have the moral strength to do what is right when we're afraid. But let's get it the right way, not by sticking our chests out and thumping, not by trusting some else in our life to do what we need to do, but rather by seeking the Lord and believing that he will deliver us from our fear, enabling us to do the hard thing, but the right thing. Let's be a family with courage, the moral strength to do what is right, even when we are afraid. Father, I thank you for this text and this truth and the help that it is to us Would we seek hard after you, believing that you and you alone can really give us the courage required to do a hard thing? We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mike Nye of Durkeetown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.